Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse, and today I've got my friend Gary Hibbard. Um, so Gary and I know each other in the real world, so uh, what I'll do is I'll introduce you to Gary. And today we're going to be talking on social media because it's a it's a subject matter that both Gary and I uh, are quite passionate about. Um, so Gary has over 30 years experience in IT, with the last of those 15 years have been focused on risk, cybersecurity and data protection. He's a passionate speaker and writer on the topic of cybersecurity and business continuity. He has the ability to communicate technical matters in layman terms, which is going to be ideally what we want on this podcast. He's also earned the title of Professor of Communicating Cyber. Um, So I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, Gary. Um, He's the Managing Director of Agency, which is a cybersecurity company uh, who can offer us... uh, uh, Sorry, they help businesses understand the risks and opportunities that our cyber universe can offer us by implementing security standards like ISO 27001 and Cyber Essentials. His focus over the recent years is now on the new general data protection regulations, which you may hear coming out as a set of another set of acronyms of GDPR. And with clients ranging from micro businesses to multinational enterprises, there's not much Gary and his team haven't seen. It sounds like we're going to have a lot to talk about, Gary, actually. Um, it does. Yeah. Gary's philosophy related to cybersecurity is quiet, calm deliberation, disentangles any knot. When things go bad, it's Gary and his team people can turn to. Okay. Absolutely. Perfectly so, put. Uh, lovely. Uh, so moving on from there, Gary, um, I'm really interested in this professor of communicating cyber. What, what does that actually mean? <laughs> It was actually a, um, a term that a friend of mine uh, gave me. He's um, uh, a dean of a, a university. Um, probably shouldn't say which one, but um, uh, the fact that he's a dean gives him some credibility. And we were just, he's seen me speak at various conferences uh, about security, and he's um, uh, he's spoken to me one on one about cybersecurity and my views around um, uh, data governance and such. And he's asked me questions, and it was just one day he just said to me, Gary, you are the professor of communicating cyber. And I just looked at him and I said, is that a real thing? Can I truly be called that? He said, yeah, why not? He said, you know, we have professors of communicating science who can take a technical topic and make it, um, uh, you know, palatable to uh, the masses. So why not? And um, yeah, so I just kind of carried that a few times and um yeah i have a and, and but i never use it when i'm speaking to real academics and real professors i hasten to add okay well we'll, we'll put it in the show notes and and you can have that as a title i like I, yeah i like that so excellent thank you so uh so yeah so why do you do what do you why are you why do you look at cyber security um i started in cyber security a long time ago um as i say it's uh I, my career when I was younger was in IT and I was a programmer and a, a network architect and a system uh, administrator. So I pretty much held most jobs in IT. And um, it was a period of time about 15, um, about 15, 16 years ago where I was looking after more and more um, email systems and uh, databases that contain large quantities of data. 
Yeah. And at the time, people, there wasn't much real data protection um, knowledge and understanding. So I was just interested in that area. So I was working with the compliance teams to look at controls that we needed to put in place around uh, the data that we held. And it, I don't know why, but it just occurred to me a long time ago that whilst we talk about data, those ones and zeros that whip across the internet and across the networks, actually those ones and zeros add up to people. They're me and you. Yeah. So I recognized um, and maybe sort of believed that I was protecting people rather than just simply protecting ones and zeros. Right. Ah. Oh, well, that, that's something new. I didn't know that about you. So now you're a professor and, and now I've learned something, yeah, something more. Okay. So obviously we, we said we'd do this podcast on um, social media. Um, yeah. So what I'm going to do is just open the floor up and say, okay, what are your views on this? What what do you kind of want to talk about here? And what do we what do we need to be taking out to the public? That's the whole point of this podcast. Okay. Um, so we, we're going to be doing this for what, the next two hours? Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> if, yeah, that would be our yeah. normal conversation. Um, let's try and limit it. To, yeah, let's try yeah, and limit okay. it. Okay, we'll keep it. We'll keep yeah. it short <laughs> as much as we can. Um, okay, the my views on social media. Um, there, that I have many, and it, and it comes from all different angles and different views um, uh, or perspectives. I guess you know, in in a, in a one liner, social media whilst it's uh, extremely powerful and it, it clearly is a power and force for good, um, it also has the power to make us less sociable. Um, people's behavior changes online. Uh, and I'm fascinated about how people portray themselves online, you know, their social media, their, 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 their cyber self, if you like, you know, they, their um, things that they share on there that they probably wouldn't share on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, so you get a different persona, you know, and I see that with family and friends. So I look at somebody online and I'm, I'm fascinated about the image that they portray. And yet I know they're nothing like that in real world. Um, so it's just from a, just a people watching perspective, you know, I'm one of those people who does sit in, um, uh, you know, a train station and enjoys people watching and mm -hmm. I do the same on social media. So I'm interested in, from it, from that perspective, um, I'm also terrified about what people put on there and about, again, what they're willing to share uh, and how they share it. And it's they seem to put information on there, again, that they wouldn't just walk up to a complete stranger in the street and tell. And yet online they have 250, 500, 600, 700 friends, um, which they're sharing their most intimate feelings and thoughts. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, that's my views on social media. It's a power for good, but I think we are almost sleepwalking into a, a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I hear the word terrified. And I'm um, obviously, this is not um, a, a an academic podcast. What we are doing is we're, we're kind of talking about why people do what they do and what we think the reasons are. Um, yeah. So for, for those listening that, that don't understand, there is, a, there is actually... Um, a theory that talks about something called disinhibition effect and I'm just wondering what what you think makes people engage in these behaviors because I, I obviously I come from it slightly academically and I'm just thinking about what do you think that that people are, are engaging in and why well I think it's it's an interesting one that disinhibition you know and I'm learning these phrases and I've learned quite a few of them from yourself and uh, 
you know, I, I think it's it's interesting when you start to look at those things academically. But um, let's let's focus on one particular area for a second, for instance, and then we'll we'll talk about trolls, uh, which can be a whole other podcast, which we can talk about, you know, and online abuse and and um, and stalking and such. But when people say to me, well, you know, how can people be trolls and how can they be so nasty online? My response to that is, you know, and they say, well, these people are normally day to day really nice people. And yet they go on a computer and they turn into horrible people. Mm. I think it's awful. How can they do it? And I laugh. And I, my question to them is, um, do you drive? And uh, if you're a driver, you know where I'm going with this. You know, we all have that propensity to sit behind the wheel and be really nice people. But, you know, that red mist descends when somebody... Uh, cuts you up or does other some other form of transgression online uh, uh, on the roads um, and suddenly learn a whole new vocabulary where we're swearing in in, in a different language almost yeah. and um, people say I yeah I, I do that well that's exactly what happens online you know it's you're you're in a, your own bubble um, there's no real victim because there's that dis uh, disinhibition you know no one there's no comeback. Um, and uh, it is done and dusted and you just you feel better for venting uh, and I think online people just have the same thing but they, they don't have that uh, in well they do have, obviously have an instant feedback um, but it's you know it's faceless it's a computer it's a keyboard what harm am I doing I'm just saying what I want online and mm -hmm. you know there is no you know there, there's that disconnect yeah so I think that's why people act as they do yeah yeah, obviously um, there are lots of academic theories behind this, but um, um, you know this is what I'm saying yeah. is we're not doing that. But what what I am, what what I do here is the fact that people do do. And I, it was when you said keyboard that I thought, yeah, what what we can do actually is bring a lot of the the generic phrases to the public actually with this podcast mm. as well. Um, I'm thinking about the phrases like keyboard warrior. So actually, yeah. that's that that's that moment of smashing the keys on the the key. But I tend to call it percussive maintenance. Um, and, and you hit the keyboard, you know, well, with this anger. Yeah, well, when, when, when I first, I mean, I, again, I'm of an age where email was once seen as a, um, it was just a, a passing phase. It'll never catch on, you know, and, um, and now we can't live without email. You know, we, we email per, a person who sits opposite us in the office. Um, and I remember many years ago writing a uh, email etiquette document and um, and in it, I talked about do not flame on, which is, you know, the, a reference yeah. to um, the, the torch, the human torch, which is uh, a reference that was given to people who would just literally just write an email and rant and, uh, you know, get their, all their anger out. And, and we used to say, right, if that happens, what you will do is it's good to do that, vent, get it out, write your email, then save it. And then the, tomorrow morning, read it again. And if you're ha still happy and you believe everything mm -hmm. that you've said there, feel free to send it. Yeah. So I, I, there was a check and balance that was allowed you to do that. Now, with Twitter and Facebook and everything else, if I'm angry at somebody right there and then, I'll say what I like and it's gone. It's out there. Mm -hmm. And you see you see people on Facebook um, saying terrible things, you know. Um, you know, my three-year-old child is a child from hell. Does anybody want to adopt this little beast? And they might be putting that out as a joke. You know, but their little beast in a few years' time is going to be reading all the mommy's posts and daddy's posts about how they hated bringing up their child. Um, 
I'm sure these feelings are very, you know, I'm sure my parents probably thought the same about me, but they just didn't put it out on social media. Yeah. But keyboard warriors, all those sorts of phrases that, that we bandy around um, and use, you know, we, we should be bringing them out into the masses and people should understand what they actually do mean, not academically, but, you know, in layman's terms. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about actually that that is the remit of what I see um, in, in therapy are children who have seen things written about them. And, and obviously we're now getting into, um, and this is definitely another podcast, you know, this GDPR where people uh, over the age of 13 can actually ask for their data removing or they can ask about their, their data. And, and if we think about parenting and the way that we have these phrases of sharenting, which is where parents overshare something about their children but also there's there's the idea around those feelings that were once within four walls are now in the public domain and that and that creates this for me I've noticed it creates this uh, epitome of, of shame and and yeah. that's what I've noticed is there's something around so I work a lot with children who have been shamed in the home and obviously mm. what you're talking about here is is the the next level of where we see it on the internet yeah where, where yeah, a parent I... has felt angry yeah, absolutely. You know, you see it in relationships. You see, um, I remember a good number of years ago, there was a um, somebody I worked with, and she would um, she would have arguments with her husband on social media. They were they were in the same home, and yet they would share, they would literally be having arguments online. And you just look at this thing again. I would watch it with just mild sort of interest like a scientist just watching insects but you just look at, but that's because I'm looking at it not quite as yeah. an academic but just as a wow you know uh, but people are doing that and just seeing that that's a perfectly acceptable behavior mm -hmm. and as you as you just said there that you're seeing the repercussions of that with people coming in you know children coming into your um you know in, for, to you for therapy and they're saying I saw these things that mom used to say about me or the, dad said this and he's put it online and he's put these photos of me and I, I asked him not to and now all these my friends are laughing at me because yeah. you know yeah so so it's almost like the household discourse oh that sounded very academic the household the household way of being is now becoming something that's that's in the public domain and then everybody else can see within within those walls I think I, I when I wrote an article I talked about no therapy room is cyber proof anymore there is, there is this mm -hmm. ability to almost be a fly on the wall and absolutely yeah. yeah and you know from from you know that that perspective there you know we I remember and I'm sure you do remember a time where we used to talk about logging on and logging off you know no one logs on and logs off anymore we are we are permanently in this world mm -hmm. Of, of cyber you know it's a cyber universe that we occupy and we live in you know kids are born into it and they're used to it and it, that's fine as I said it's absolutely you know I love technology um, uh, and I always have and always will but I recognize I have a very real um, sort of awareness situational awareness of what I'm saying online and who I'm speaking to and what the way that I portray myself I absolutely you know self censor because I recognize that I don't want to be oversharing information. I don't want to be sharing everything online. One, because I don't care to, to share everything. Um, I'm quite a private person in some respects. But also because I just recognize the impact it can have. Um, and I'm always very conscious of the recipients. So when I write what I write or I'm saying what I'm saying online, if I'm e even in an email, I'm, if I'm trying to be funny, I'm very careful about who I'm being funny with. 
because I'm not a professional comedian. And it's very difficult to be funny on email or Twitter or Facebook and such. If you've got the gift, well done. But 95% of us haven't got that gift. And sometimes we write things and the person reading it, the receiver, will get that message and it comes across in a whole different way. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've just not, we're just, people, generally, people just aren't aware of that level of social interaction online. Right. I've I've got two things going on in my head at the moment. One is um, the when you said the impact that you foresee. So I'm going to ask you about what you think the impact of this oversharing and and so on might be. But also okay. what the remit of this podcast is about is about bringing this information to people so that they can become aware of what what measures they may need to take. So for example, how do we how do we educate on this podcast people to to think about in the way that that you and I do about what we do on social media and the impact it may have. Because obviously we do this thing where we see into the future a little bit and, yep. and kind of go, okay, so this is likely to happen. So I'm just thinking about what advice can we give to anybody listening to the podcast? And also, okay. what do you think that the impacts are? Okay. Um, so advice and sort of um, impacts, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I'm writing it down so, so purely so that I can keep keep myself focused because as I say you know we can talk about this all day long and um, you're gonna have to wait for me to pause for breath so um, okay if we start with um, I mean first thing I'm going to say is none of what we're, what we're talking about here should be seen as scaremongering because I will keep repeatedly say that social media the internet cyber is a massive power for good it's got such potential We've opened Pandora's box anyway, so we better learn to peer in and, and understand. This, you know, trying to stop, put, you know, shut this down or change things now, it's not going to happen. There's lots of talk about various different ways about, you know, so Tim Berners-Lee, you know, literally the, 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 the father of the internet has talked about, you know, the fact that we should uh, start again and restructure it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's a nice idea. It's not going to happen. So none of what we're talking about here is scaremongering, but the impact of social media about what we share online has very real repercussions. And I mean, um, you know, at the very basic levels, um, let me give you some real world examples. A, um, the phishing, phishing scam. So we, we all know what a phishing scam is, but you know, very quickly, you get an email in your inbox and it says, um, uh, Catherine, you've got, um, you know, there's been some suspicious activity on your Barclay card account. Mm -hmm. And you'll instantly look at that and say, I don't have a Barclay card, so I know that that's phishing and that's not going to impact upon me. Those kind of scams work. There has been a 400% increase in those kind of scams in the last 12 months. And the reason that they work is because so many companies are having data breaches and because it's so easy to carry out, I can send out a phishing email to 10 million people within literally 30 seconds. I've got the tools, I've got the, 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 uh, the data, and I can scam people, and it works. Yeah. So that's why it, it happens. But what is also a, a sort of a derivative of that or a more pointed attack is something called whale phishing. And whale phishing is where I actually target individuals or an individual company. So what I will do is I will look at somebody's website, an accountant or a, um, uh, you know, a, a solicitor or 
a shop assistant, somebody you know, somebody who runs a shop, yeah. um, and I will find out that um, who the the person is who manages the finances, and I will find out the name of the CEO, the managing director, the person who runs it, and then I'll go onto social media, and guess what? On social media, it tells me that they're going on holiday next week, and it tells me that they're going to go on holiday on Monday morning. Now, one of two things can happen there. Yeah. One is I can just do the traditional whale fishing, which is. When I know that person's likely to be on a plane, I can email the CFO and say, um, Catherine um, uh, promised to wire this money to me today to complete on a contract. If you don't do it in the next four hours, I'm afraid the contract will fall through and your job's on the line. Now, if you're just working for a small organization, mm -hmm. the likelihood is you're going to wire the money. You're going to send the money to that account. And I know that happens because that's exactly what happened to a young lady who contacted me several months ago and they lost £8,000. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just £8,000. But just £8,000 to a company out of their you know, turnover, out of their profit, is a big, was a big deal. So that's what could potentially happen. Yeah. And, and some it, of those emails, Gary, are, are absolutely spot on. I think I, I've report, um, when I get them, I, I obviously go down the channels of reporting them back to the, the police and so on. But the, the PayPal yep. ones and the NatWest ones, they are really, really spot on. Absolutely. Uh, it's, only, it's only certain little things that are, uh, might be tiny spelling errors or Absolutely. Um, the fact it comes to a different email address. What you've got to remember, and this is something that we often forget, when I talk about the bad guys are doing this, we are, yeah, and, and you, know, you talk about the bad guys and instantly you imagine this um, lone hacker sat on his own in a um you know in his bedroom doing this and it's a teenager sometimes you know you might you've, you've seen the movies yeah mr. Robot. Now, it's yeah mr robot the best tv program you know in that respect the only thing it doesn't depict is that in actual fact we are talking about cyber crime as it's it's crime 2.0 yeah organized criminals have gone online businesses have gone online and leveraged the fact that everybody else is online guess where criminals go they go online so when you think about traditional drug runners and um, sex traffickers and um, you know and gun running and all the rest of it, all these sorts of things that you expect the mafia to be involved in, well, guess what? They've yeah. switched to being online now because they know it's big, big business. So there are quite literally um, warehouses, call centres that are set up in certain countries that are scamming people and ringing them up just like a just like a normal call centre and. You know, Catherine, hello, Catherine, this is your HSBC bank and you've um, some suspicious activity. Please log on. Let me take over your computer. It's happening on an industrial level. Yeah. So that's 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 just one aspect. But if we take it back into the real world, you also get people who are um, the heads of global corporations worth multi-million pounds and they're putting online... Um, you know, got an early flight tomorrow to uh, America. Not looking forward to it, or or worse still, you know, got a work, uh, you know a flight tomorrow to um, Iran. And guess what? They turn up at the airport, and there's someone standing there with a plaque with their name on it. And they walk up and they say, "Are you my driver?" And they go, "I am indeed your driver." And they take them and they put them in the car. Instead of going left, they go right, and suddenly they're not seen again for a while, whilst someone is expected to pay a ransom. Yes. And these yeah. are real world examples of what, what is really happening. And yeah. all because somebody can't keep the fact that they're going on holiday or getting on a plane tomorrow morning. Yeah. 
I, I think I'm sure you're aware. I've I've written about this sometimes on on um, social media, and and learned a very quick lesson not to not to kind of do that because what it does um, what it does produce are lots of people who get very cross with you. So going back to that <laughs> trolls thing that we talked about earlier, um, because that that's what I see on my Facebook feed is is lots of people saying I'm on holiday and and I I look at it and I think of it from an insurance pers- uh, perspective. And I've said to a number of people, you know, if, if your house was burgled, yep. you don't really have a leg to stand on because you've advertised that it's a vacant property. Well, it was interesting. I was interviewed um, a couple of weeks ago by a, an insurance magazine and they wanted to know, they were more more interested about the Internet of Things. So, you know, all these device, connected devices mm. that we're putting on the Internet and we're connected to our homes, the heating system, the front door locks, etc. And they said, what, what should insurers do around um, uh, this type of threat? And I said, well, they need to start looking at the policies because, you know, if I leave my front door open or my windows open, then and the, the, the insurer asks me, when you were burgled, did you take precautions to protect your house? And I say, well, actually, I left my front door open. Guess what? My insurance is null and void. Yeah. The same questions yeah. I can imagine in a few years' time will be, we need to look at your Facebook account because if you told people you were going on, you know, going to be in... Uh, the Maldives for the next two weeks, then guess what? I'm sorry, but you brought this upon yourself. Yeah. Because back to the the risks, you know, it's it's interesting that um, uh, the there is a stat now that actually states that more than fifty percent of all crime, all crime, has a cyber element to it. Now you might say, well, mm. that can't possibly be true. But when I talk about cyber elements, I mean your common garden burglar now is sitting at home, casing the joints, looking at street view, looking at places that have got nice cars parked on them, looking at street view to say, oh, yeah, I can see there's an alleyway down the back of that street there. That'll be good. I can get over those that fence there. And they're using Google street view to look at places to burgle. Yeah. So, you know, are they a cyber criminal or are they just using computers just like anybody else would? If I'm looking for a property, I'm going to start, you know, if I'm looking for a new house, I'm going to go and virtually walk down that street using Street View. That's exactly what burglars are doing. And if you're putting on Facebook that you are going on holiday for two weeks, it's not going to take me more than five minutes to find out where you live and case the joint. Yes, that was that was the phrase I was thinking of in my head. Um, so I'm just thinking because we're we're going to do that running running out of time thing. So well, coming back to what, advi- the, what advice? What advice? Yeah. Okay. So the advice is um, it's very simple. I, I, if I, if I was to say to you, right, there's a tool that will protect you. You know, download this. It's going to protect you. I would be lying. Mm-hmm. There is nothing in the world that will make you 100% secure. I'm sorry to say that. Again, it's not. I'm not you know, trying to be um, alarmist here. But it's true. Um, just like in the real world, there are risks around us. Be risk aware. That's my first uh, piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Be conscious about what you share. Be conscious about what you share online and what you say online. No one's saying don't post your pictures of when you go on holiday or where, you, where you've been. That's lovely. Do it when you get back. Don't do it whilst you're there. Don't post the fact that you're going on Monday morning and you've got an early morning flight. You'll be out of the house at 5 a.m. Just be aware. Also, when it comes to children, more specifically, again, be aware of what they're doing online. Set boundaries, of course. Just like when we were kids, we had boundaries. You know, no TV after this time. 
you can buy and or download tools that will restrict access to devices and and um, services based upon your rules. Talk to your kids. Talk to them about what they're doing online. There's no. It's never too late to have that conversation. You know, you're not the friend. You are their parents, and it's about starting to take that responsibility. And that, you know, I'm not going to tell people how to bring up their own kids. But it's just about having an open and honest conversation, not dictating, not, you know, sort of um, uh, trying to impose, you know, massive uh, rules upon them, but just have conversations with them. And I think if you could do that, if you have conversations and if you are just aware of what you're doing online, you're going to be far better protected than those people who are blindly just simply sharing information on social media. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, um, and, and it'll be shared at a, a conference and, um, well, it's been shared at some conferences that I have a, a theory behind why why we engage in that kind of behaviour. Um, yeah. I won't be giving that away on the podcast, by the way. Um, but there is something about this this behaviour and how people engage in it. And I'm, I'm going to say it's that phrase, isn't it? They, they engage in a behaviour without thinking beforehand. So that the idea of consequences and, uh, yeah... So we might not have got onto the long-term impacts. I have a funny feeling we're going to have lots and lots and lots more conversations. And obviously, that's that's what I said we were doing was, yeah, candid conversations, isn't it? It's all about yeah. um, what what's the reality and and how do we bring this information to people without scaremongering, but also at the same time, let's be realists. Let's let's yeah. not wrap it up in a um, a beautiful looking academic paper that that doesn't look at every single issue that's out there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this is cyber security, being safe online. You know, I liken it quite often to, um, you know, back in the 80s and, and earlier, you know, we, we talked about uh, having neighborhood watch schemes and we talked about not becoming the next victim. To be honest with you, in terms of cyber security and, um, and being, you know, stopping being a, become a victim, Sounds awful, but I don't have to outrun the, the hackers and the cyber criminals. I only have to outrun you. I only have to be better than the next person. Yeah. So, you know, we have to look at this collectively. We have to take some responsibility um, and um, and just be aware. You know, you lock your key, you lock your front door when you leave the home. So why are you not, you know, thinking about your own personal security when you're online? Because yeah. this, is, this is the front door to the world. Absolutely. What a brilliant end. What that I should just ding at that that what a brilliant end, Gary. Okay, so thank thank you for giving me your time. Um, Very welcome. And, and I'm looking forward to the next twenty four different conversations because I have so <laughs> many ideas. Um, where where can people find you? So uh, obviously I'm going to put this underneath uh, the video. It'll be in show notes, but also if people are listening to this, where can they find you? Social media, obviously. It will yeah. be a protected account insofar as you only share information that's safe. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, you, you might have thought that I'm not uh, very sociable, but you can find me on most, um, uh, you know, social sites. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, so it's Gary Hibbard. Um, I'm on um, on Twitter, agency, uh, at Agency Gary. Um, and they're the two that are probably you know, going to get a, a you know, faster response if you're interested. You, you can go to the website, which is The Agency, and that's agency spelt with an I at the end. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, if you can put in my um, uh, 
yeah, my Twitter handle uh, on the description, that would be would be fine. So I'm more than happy to uh, help anybody and answer any questions people might have. Fab. That's brilliant. Right. You're welcome. So I will bring this to an end. And obviously, we're going to carry on our conversation because there's lots more to be had about other topics. Um, so for now, thank you for joining us. Thank you.